Um, we're continuing our series called uh, Christianity Over Culture, working our way through 1 Corinthians. If you've got a Bible, you want to follow along, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this week, famously known as the love chapter. Um, the big idea this, with this message is simply called the way of love. Um, part of the reason we're going through this letter uh, called 1 Corinthians is because the letter was written to a culture and a church very similar to ours. In a lot of ways, um, and a lot of uh, people who study the Bible, scholars and pastors believe that um, the culture that uh, Corinth had um, and the little church within it is similar, probably closely, most closely resembles the culture that we have in the world we live in. And so this is relevant for us and helpful for us. Um, uh, uh, just one note as we move through this month, we'll finish up Corinthians here. Um, and we have a service. The last Sunday of this month is going to be at the fairgrounds. We do kind of a special service there. I just want to give you the reason we do it. Um, it's not because we just need more to do. Right? We've got plenty to do, so that's not it. There's a reason for it. And the reason is that we want to help you as a church um, be able to invite people. And you may know somebody that's not here and you haven't been able to get them to come to church. Maybe you've tried or you really would like to see them in church because you know it would help them. Well, a fair service, doing a service down at the fairgrounds can be kind of a little easier entry level service for people that get a little nervous walking up to the doors of the church. Some people start twitching a little, you know, get a little scared. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Um, that's okay. But uh, we really don't bite too hard. And sometimes it's helpful, right, to give people one of those opportunities. So I want to encourage you to invite somebody and invite uh, somebody that you know you've been trying to reach out to. They may just come to church with you when it's at the fair, right, at the fairgrounds. Um, but uh, this, again, back to uh, uh, today, our service, um, or message today is on love. The love chapter. This gets talked about or oftentimes read part of this chapter at weddings. And uh, it's really applicable to marriages. Really helpful. But the context here is really to a church. A group of people that were working and, um, and struggling to become the people of Jesus. You know, the culture we grow up in has a lot of influence on us. Uh, both the country where we live in, the state that we're born in, the, the valley uh, that we live in here. Uh, all of those things have a culture. Culture is just how people interact with each other. And the culture that we grow up in has a lot of influence on us. When we trust in Christ, Jesus calls us to a different way of life. And uh, he really calls us into what I like to call Jesus culture. And it's best expressed today in the church. And so this letter to the church in Corinth about how they should be treating each other, what should matter most to them, is also relevant to us. You know, um, like us, they got really enamored with some of the spiritual gifts, some of the cool things that create big results or can create big results. They got really excited about that. You know, as I was growing up, when I'd see a Billy Graham uh, uh, revival and see a stadium full of people and man, he'd give the altar call and so many people got up and went forward. That was exciting, you know? Um, I liked watching that. It was moving emotionally to me to see so many people respond. And, uh, and so in the church, we still have a tendency to get excited about the big flashy things that produce big results or that can. And so the church in Corinth had a similar issue. They were uh, really focused on those spiritual gifts, like we talked about last week, 
that produce big results or really uh, upfront gifts or you see a lot. And um, Paul, last week, if you remember, at the end of chapter 12, after talking about spiritual gifts, he moved them into, he said, I want to show you a, a more excellent way. And so, um, and so I want us to think about our church and ourselves, and I want us to strive for excellence. And we want to. There's things we want to see that make us proud of our church. Again, hopefully, we have um, a good worship right um, experience. We have good preaching. That's what we hope for. And uh, we're proud of those things. But what Paul is really shifting for the church in Corinth, and it's helpful for us too, is what should we really be striving for? What is it that God, our Heavenly Father, cares about most? And, uh, and striving for excellence matters, and it should matter to us. We should want to be the best we can be and excel in the areas that God wants us to excel in. Booker T. Washington said, excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. Um, John Adams said the only thing most people do better than anyone else is read their own handwriting. We want to be better than that. Some of us don't even do that very well. But, um, but excellence, as, uh, in contrast to perfection, um, perfection is something that can be uh, oppressive. Edwin Bliss said that the pursuit of excellence is gratifying and healthy. The pursuit of perfection is frustrating, neurotic, and a terrible waste of time. We're not a perfect church. And uh, frankly, I'm not really that concerned whether or not we're perfect. I have some perfectionistic tendencies or have in my life. Um, I took a strength finder survey that called it uh, more, it, it put a different label on it, said I was a maximizer. It sounds a lot more positive than a perfectionist. But the truth is perfectionism or maximizing things has a lot to do with how they make me look. How do I appear in the middle of this? Uh, do I look good? Do things happen in, a, in the right way so that I uh, am uh, uh, emulated or considered successful or whatever it might be? And so I think perfectionism isn't a great trait because it's really focused on me where excellence is more about us. And so I really have tried to shift my focus and my uh, leadership style instead of being about everything being perfect to that we're excelling. Are we doing and growing as a church to be the people that Jesus wants us to become? Are we excellent at what matters most? And so Paul, in this chapter, is going to point to what matters most. What is it that we should be concerned with the most? And again, this culture that Jesus is trying to create in our church is very different than the world around us. And so um, one of the things we see first off is he's going to postulate the importance of excelling in love. And so the first point that he makes is if there's no love, there's no gains to what we're doing. Follow along as I read 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 1. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth, I've known some people who could speak a number of languages, Paul says, even if you could speak every language on earth and the languages of angels, so you can speak heavenly languages. So if I could speak of all the, all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. Want me to do that the whole service? I know you're awake now. I could preach a great message. 
I could inspire you and, uh, and make you just captivated and make you feel things and do a great job. But Paul's saying here, if it doesn't come, it's not done in love, that's what it sounds like. It's reason to pause for a minute and think, why am I doing what I do? What's my motivation? What is my character looking like? See, this is tough. It's not going to be comfortable because this is harder work. Performance is something we all enjoy, but who am I? How do I really view others and treat others? That's a little more difficult. Verse two, if I had the gift of prophecy and I understood, listen, all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could do what Jesus said, which is move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor, even sacrificed my body, was a martyr for my faith, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. No love, no gains. That really comes from the world of like weightlifting, which is all about gains, right? Did you, are you getting your gains? Um, and, uh, and that's the goal of, of weightlifting, especially for those who take it seriously. And the truth is, Paul's saying to the church, you can do a spectacular job. You can do all the right things. You can be performing really well. But if love is not your motivation, if your character is not being formed so that you are loving others the way God loves us, you're not getting any gains. You're not really producing what it is that God's after. And so we got to be careful with this. Uh, it's especially... Um, Uh, challenging to leaders, but I think it's challenging for all of us. Are you excelling at what matters most to God? Are you becoming excellent at loving each other? Well, the next thing he touches on again, if this is so important, what is it that we're supposed to be excelling at? And so next Paul teaches us how to love with excellence. How do we do it? And this, of course, is the part that's read at a lot of weddings, but this is for all of us. And it's really to instruct all of us on how we're supposed to relate to each other. In verse four, he says, this is what this love looks like that you're supposed to excel at. He says, love is patient and kind, which we could probably stop there and that would be challenging enough, right? But he doesn't stop there. He goes on. Love is not jealous, boastful, proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice or evil, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith, or maybe a better word there is trust, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love is powerful. This kind of love is revolutionary. We do not know this kind of love. Uh, It doesn't come natural to us. It's not how we treat other people. It's not how we behave. It's not how we love. And so, This is the culture that Jesus wants us to have. 
This is how he wants us to be formed, to treat others, right? And so this needs to shape us. So what is this love really like? Well, first of all, love is patient and kind, sets a positive tone for our relationships, our interactions with other people. Do you have a positive tone to your interaction with the people you encounter throughout the day? Are people uh, an opportunity for you or are they a problem for you, right? We can all get stuck where we're impatient and rude. But love, when I've been formed in love, when my character's been shaped by love, when I've learned how to love others, being patient and kind is how I treat them. I have a positive disposition I myself have seen others and and have fallen into this myself where at times I think to myself, somebody gets offended at something I say or how I say it and I get frustrated. Why is everyone so sensitive? Man, people are just a bunch of whiners today, right? People need to toughen up. You ever thought that? Not you, just me, I know. But here's the truth. That really reflects um, uh, a lack of strength in my own character that I don't have or want to take the time to carefully interact with others. I just want everybody to deal with whatever I want to do and however I want to say it. So the problem's really within me. I'm the one that needs to get stronger, (laughs) that needs to toughen up, that needs to get strengthened so I don't just have to project all of my struggles and my difficulties on everybody else. But I'm careful how I interact. I've noticed throughout my life that what causes me at times to be impatient and irritable is that I'm under pressure. I've got stress on me, right? And so uh, it's interesting to me that Jesus actually addressed this issue. He recognized that we're going to struggle to be the people he wants us to be under the load of pressure that we typically walk under. And so um, this, uh, let's see, I think it started uh, Friday night. We've got our two granddaughters um, for about a week. And so... If you want to uh, sort of have a test of whether you're patient and kind, it's a good way to do it. And I've got little angels for granddaughters, so I'm not saying they're difficult at all. Um, But it'll test you, right? So throwing something different into your schedule, into your routine. And little people are great uh, to encourage us in this. So um, uh, we're reading our Bible story before bedtime. And a couple nights ago, I read out of their little children's Bible, the story of Jesus addressing stress and pressure. And it's written for little children, but remember Jesus was teaching adults. And he said, you should have less stress and pressure. Um, You shouldn't worry so much. He said, look at the birds. The birds have to eat, right, all the time. They need a place to live. They have needs. But the birds don't stress about where they're gonna eat, uh, where their food's gonna come from or where they're gonna live. Don't stress about it. Because why? Because their heavenly father provides for them. He's created a world to take care of their needs. And then he said, what about the flowers? The flowers don't stress and worry, and yet they're beautifully adorned. And then he directed it at his audience. He said, you know, you have a heavenly father too. And you know, he'll take care of you too. You don't have to worry and stress about those things, physical needs. Now, I understand this is not easy. I've spent way too much of my life worrying and stressing about those things. 
even though the worry and stress, if I'm honest, didn't produce much. If I'm honest, didn't produce much. My heavenly father was the one who produced (laughs) the opportunities and the ways to gain provision, the work that I needed to do. And so we really are able to live with less stress and pressure, which will allow us and help us to be more patient and kind. Regardless of what causes you to struggle in these areas, I know the solution, and that is to spend more time with my Savior, spend more time with God, to take the time every day to get in his word, to set aside time to focus on him and let him speak to me. Because when I listen to his voice, I go out into my day with a different attitude and a different focus. And when I have a challenge from my heavenly father as to how I should live and what I should do, that sticks with me throughout my day and it gives me a a reminder and, and that focus I need to make those changes. I know that worship, worshiping throughout the week helps my heart. It takes some of the pressure off me when I, when I do it. Praying, when I spend time casting my cares on my Heavenly Father instead of carrying those and trying to figure them out all myself, this lifts the load. When I confess my sin, it makes it easier for me to forgive others, which eases the pressure and stress I live under. Whatever it is that causes you to struggle, which you probably do, with being gentle and kind, patient and kind, These things help. Next, he says what love is not. It's not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. It doesn't think to itself, why don't I have that job, that house, that boat, that car? Why don't I have that? Shouldn't I have it? Why do they have it? What did they do to deserve that privilege, that benefit, that prosperity? Why don't I have those things, right? And of course, this is a human problem. It's comparison and it's self-motivated. And so jealousy in that regard was dealt with in the Old Testament, in the law. Don't covet what your neighbor has. Boastfulness, pride says, look what I've done. I should get the credit. People should notice what I'm doing. That's the opposite of love. To dishonor, disrespect others, to be blunt and rude is the opposite of what it means to excel at love. These attitudes are off-putting. They push us away from people. And don't you see that love pulls us in to relationship with others? It draws people to us. It allows us to invest, right? And to connect. After all, love is at the core of healthy relationships. Next, he says, love does not demand its own way. There's not a focus on me and what I'm getting out of it. There's a focus on others. I can care more about what others are going through. I can take the time to notice when someone else is having a difficult day and care about them and care for them and pray for them and encourage them instead of needing everybody to do what I want. I heard a long time ago that it's easy to get demanding in life. Demanding. We all have that tendency. We get weak. We get tired. We get discouraged. We get demanding. I need, I need, I need. And the opposite of demanding is demonstrating. And what a more positive way to deal with the issues that you see. It's easy to get critical, to start complaining, but it's so much more powerful to demonstrate, to do something about it, to show others what could be done, to create the positive change that we desire. Demanding is not what we see out of God. We see God, what? Demonstrating his love for us. And that while we were sinners, Romans 
8 says, or Romans 5, 8 says, Christ died for us. God is a demonstrating God. And we can move in that direction. Next, he says that uh, love is not irritable. And a good word equivalent for that, I think, is grumpy. Not grumpy. Um, Mary and I have a little uh, acreage. We've got some projects to do. Lots of projects to do. And every once in a while, um, my hired hand will help me get a project done. And uh, there's something that comes into play that's difficult for me to understand. But at times, working on a project and um, my hired hand does not know what I'm thinking, doesn't uh, react the way that uh, she should. And uh, in that moment, and, and you know, it's not that I say anything. Something happens on my face. And all of a sudden it's like, don't get mad at me. Don't you get grumpy with me. I do not have to help you. My paycheck is very small. I can go in the house, do something else. You can do this on your own. Yeah. Maybe that's just in our house. You guys don't struggle with that, but grumpy, grumpy, yeah. It's hard. It's hard. But love isn't grumpy. It's not irritable. Um, It's encouraging. It overlooks when something doesn't happen the right way perfectly. The next one's challenging too, does not hold past offenses or wrongs against someone. This requires that I'm daily forgiving. I'm daily forgiving. And honestly, what helps me forgive is when I ask forgiveness. When I know and recognize the areas where I fell short, where I didn't live up to what God wants me to do, where I sinned. If I'm asking forgiveness, it sure helps me to forgive others. But to not hold past offenses and wrongs means that I don't hold somebody in who they've been. They don't get trapped in that place, but I'm allowing for them to change. It's absolutely important and essential that I'm a person who loves people. See, I love people. That means I'm not holding the past against them. I believe something different can happen tomorrow. And so I'm forgiving and I'm letting go. This is what it means to excel in love, to be excellent at loving. And of course, this is challenging. It's difficult, but so important. If we're going to excel at this, and I I tell you this all the time, I'm trying My goal is to be an unoffendable person. I cannot be offended. I've not gotten there yet, but I know that is the place where I'm really living and acting in love. Unoffendable. Um, How powerful would that culture be if we were unoffendable? We were forgiving and not holding the past against anyone. Um, Next, he says it does not rejoice about injustice Another word there is evil or wrongdoing, not rejoicing. Even if we think somebody deserves it, we don't rejoice when they are harmed, when they suffer loss. That's not what we rejoice about. Instead, we rejoice when the truth wins out. Next, he says, love never, never gives up. This means we don't quit on somebody. We don't quit on them. We don't wish they'd just go away. No, never give up. We're going to hang in there. We're going to continue to persevere. We're going to do what he says next, which is uh, never loses faith. Never loses trust. Never quits believing that there can be positive change. Next, he says it's always hopeful. Love is always hopeful, which is 
a positive confidence in future improvement? Do you have for other people a positive confidence in future improvement that they are not, will not be tomorrow who they were today or who they are today, right? Um, It's difficult, these things. We get discouraged, we get hurt, we fall into patterns, we lose hope. But love is always hopeful. Lastly, he says it endures through every circumstance. Endures. Enduring has that long game, that uh, marathon, that, hey, we're going to get through this, and I'm going to hang in there with you, and we're going to make it. Um, to sum this section up, love keeps relationships together, right? The opposite pushes us apart or pushes relationships apart. And as a church, as the people of God, Jesus wants us to excel in love, to live this way, to be growing with this kind of character and this kind of um, way of behaving towards each other. Paul is raising the bar for them. They were not behaving this way. They were fighting. They were struggling. They were jealous. They were um, battling each other. They wanted what this person had, and they were covetous about things, and even the things of God, even spiritual gifts. They were jealous of each other. And he reminds them, here's how you guys should be living. You should be growing and excelling at love. Are we growing and excelling in this way of living? I'm going to tell you it's not glitzy. It's not glamorous because the things that we gravitate towards are, they're a little bit easier to do because there's some performance involved. But what God cares about you and I on are the deeper things about who are we? How are we treating each other? And this is what matters most. He goes on to say this, and part of the reason is in this context of spiritual gifts, he says, giftedness, after all, has limited value. Look at what he says in verse eight. He says, prophecy speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. As amazing as they are, they'll become useless. But love will last forever. It has eternal value to it. Verse nine, now our knowledge, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Even the gifts that we think are most powerful, that we emulate the most, that produce these great results, still, he says, those are limited. They're temporary. They're not always going to be needed and they don't have eternal significance, but love, love will last forever. So we should be excelling and growing in this area of love. He refers to the perfect or a perfect time when perfection comes. Then things will be complete then things will be made complete. But now, the gifts that we see that they were fighting over, he says they have temporary value. And the same, of course, is true for us. What God wants to excel at, he wants us to grow in, to really grasp is the things that will last forever, which at its core is love. And again, not a love that's just touchy-feely, but a love that's sacrificial, that, that's deep, that's, that's gutsy, that takes a lot of sacrifice to live out. This is what matters most. Paul raises the bar. And it's true for all of us. We struggle to excel at love. It's a lot easier, again, 
For instance, to come to church, smile, hear a message, hear a worship, say, hey, that was great. Go home and not have to deal with these deeper issues. In order to do that, we've got to get into relationships. We've got to connect and we've got to work and struggle. And like I do, ask forgiveness a lot, right? Working in a direction, this is more difficult. This is training and it's what we need to be striving for. Being excellent, not perfect. Transformation is what is involved here. What Jesus wants to do in you and me is transform us. It's really the only way we become a different culture than the world around us. The world around us says, if you hurt me once, shame on you. But if you hurt me twice, shame on me. I'm not going to let you hurt me twice. And love says, no. Actually, I'm going to allow you the opportunity to hurt me many times. Now, understand the context, not beat me up, but to offend me, to bother me, to get under my skin, right? And there's a way in which I grow through that and I need that to grow. And so God wants transformation in us to be a resilient, strong people who don't give up when things are difficult. We don't push away or pull away from each other, but we're, we're drawn together. Next, he, he encourages them to seek maturity over giftedness. And again, maturity is the harder work. Verse 11, he says, when I was a child, speaking spiritually here, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. Then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. This giftedness that he's referring to gives illumination. It gives insight. It gives the knowledge of God and insight to the the things of God. But it's not complete. It's not perfect. It's still a little fuzzy. And we've gained throughout the years and millennia. Um, We've added to what we have. This early church didn't have the New Testament. We do. What a powerful resource for us, an objective source of God's truth. We can study it. We can learn it. We can memorize it. This is powerful. It's still not perfect. We are not, we don't know God perfectly yet. We don't understand everything about him. And Paul's referring to a time where the relationship, that where, where really what we need, which is to be known perfectly and to know God perfectly, that's coming in the future. We can look forward to it in the meantime. To grow and to mature in love is to allow us to move in that direction. To focus on giftedness and on performance is limiting. It's to fall in love with what's temporary and incomplete. He wants us to grow in maturity to understand the greatest things, the most important things. It's so easy for us to strive for success, to strive for the stuff in life that we want, that we look at and we desire, and to neglect the relationships that matter most. At the end of our lives, what we'll care about is the relationships around us, right? Have those grown? Are we closer, more intimate with the people that we love? This is what he's pointing to. This is what you really need and what you should really desire. Lastly, he ends this chapter saying, that we should walk in love. Verse 13 of chapter 13. Three things will last forever. Last forever. Faith, hope, and love. 
And the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope, some have said, are found in the definition of love, right? And so they all wrap together into this perfect quality, this perfect character trait that God wants you and I to excel in. Remember, Jesus said when asked, what's the greatest commandment? To love God and love others. Love is at the core. Love is what we need to understand. I know that I cannot love others this way if I'm not being loved this way. And I know anytime I get in front of a group of people who've been around church and been around religion, there's different viewpoints, different experiences of what love is. Different kinds of relating to God because of what we've been taught, how we've been raised, what's been impressed upon us. And there's an awful lot of people that believe God's love is connected to their performance, their sin patterns, their victory over sin, how they're doing at living the Christian life, we say, or living for Jesus. And that is how they feel, right? What they connect to when it comes to God's love. I just want to encourage you, if you read this definition of love again, it doesn't include performance. Does our performance matter? Does it matter how we live? Well, yeah, you're a child of God, (laughs) You're part of his family. Your heavenly father cares how you live, just like you care about how your kids live. They represent you. So yeah, he cares an awful lot about who you are and how you live. But you understand his love for you, that it's not based on that. Do you really understand that? Do you really know each and every day as you get up and you start a new day that God loves you the same as he did yesterday and he will love you tomorrow the same as he did today and it's not based on what you do. It's based on who he is and that he's decided to love you. And God demonstrated his love, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the nature of God's love. Have you experienced the love of God? Do you walk in the love of God? Or like some people I know, are you imposing your definition of love on him? Are you saying, no, you don't understand uh, all the bad things I've done. I've rejected him so long. I've kept him out. Uh, There's just no way that he could really love me. And I've run into a lot of people that, that think that. And to that I say, well, maybe you couldn't love somebody like that, but you're not God. See, God, again, doesn't love you because of what you do, how you perform, what you produce. God loves you because of who he is because who he's created you to be. He does not give up on you. He's not lost hope in you. You may have struggled with the same thing for your entire life, but guess what? God still sees you as someone who can overcome that struggle, who can be who he created you to be. He's not gonna lose hope in you. He's not gonna lose sight, right? He's not gonna give up. He's not gonna walk away. He's gonna persevere with you throughout whatever you go through. Are you walking in that kind of love? Are you living in that kind of relationship with God? I want you to. That's what I want you to experience. More than that you get your life all straightened up, more that you get everything lined out, more that you live perfectly. I just want you to be be able to excel in this life because you're experiencing the love of God. God, would you... uh, 
Help us understand what we do not. Help us to grasp what we just don't understand. And that is how much you care about us, what we mean to you, how you treat us, how you interact with us. Um, Father, we just struggle to understand it. We don't really get it. We don't see it in this world, really. It's different. And so I pray that you'd help us to grasp how high and how wide and how deep your love is for us. I know that it'll change us. It changes me each and every day. If there's someone here, Father, that hasn't put their trust in you, hasn't invited you into their life, I just pray that they would open up and allow you to come in and love them and change them. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.